For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. And on today's episode, I've got a conversation for you about Armand Marquez and his new contract. And then as a part of that, transitioning into a larger conversation about dollar per war. Uh, of course, we're not talking about, you know, international conflict. We are, of course, talking about wins above replacement. And specifically, as that stat tends to be used by front offices, uh, especially the you know money ball ones, as we tend to call them, but really most front offices, when I met and talked to Dan O'Dowd now, goodness, over a decade ago, is that right? I, I, guess, I guess it is, or we're coming up on the decade i'd have to do the math but it was either 11 years ago or 10 years ago probably this month now that i'm talking that i had a conversation with dan o'dowd all in those terms right in in terms of how much a player is is giving versus how much you've got to pay them and how that goes into how teams build their rosters right so let's begin with the news that armand marquez it was announced recently has been extended by the colorado rockies for two years at 10 million dollars a year with a bunch of incentives in the second year 2025 that could bump it up if he plays enough and plays particularly well. And I even saw in there, there's, a, I think, a million-dollar kicker if he happens to get traded, which is an interesting thing that notes that the Rockies may or may not, you know, be building around him for the, the future. R- really what this contract is. I guess I'll get into the big-picture thing, and then we'll break it down, right? But the way I view this, and we talked about this before when he first went down, and he had this team option on his contract for the possibility to keep him at his current rate of $16 million. And with the Tommy John surgery, it was tough to argue that the Rockies should pay him $60 million for next season, 60, 16 I hope, <laughs> million dollars to play next season when he's going to miss certainly the first half of it, maybe the first two thirds of it, right? The it, it can be a little bit of wiggle room there with some of the return from Tommy John, but certainly you don't want to rush it if you do want to leave open the possibility that you could even extend him longer after this and continue to build around him if you think he's going to pitch well into his 30s. But uh, there was this just no perfect answer to this, right? Which is why I suspected that they would do something exactly like this, which is sign a short-term extension at a little bit less money, but that has some incentives in it so that the player can get back to it if he's pitching well, but that the Rockies don't risk losing him because, and I know this is a much larger conversation, right? But they intend to be competitive at least by 2025, certainly. I think they're going to try and make a, a certain run at it this offseason and go for 2024, though I'll be interested to hear Bill Schmidt's comments at the end of this season and, and how aggressive he is about talking about starting pitching. If he's really aggressive about that, then yeah, I will reach the conclusion 
that they're going to go right after it in 2024. If not, then I think you've got one more building year. But still, 25 is a perfectly reasonable time to have expected a lot of this position player unit to have come together, to have gelled for even more guys to have come up and joined the team, and for them to have been able to figure out some of this other pitching stuff. It would still almost certainly be a benefit to your franchise to have the guy who's basically on the doorstep, on the precipice of being the greatest pitcher in Rockies history, if not by peak, that still probably belongs to Ubaldo Jimenez. Not not even probably, it just does. But in terms of longevity mixed with moments of dominance in there, Marquez is about to be that guy, right? He's about to be the franchise leader in strikeouts, the only guy to ever get a thousand strikeouts. And, and not only that, as we've talked about before, and the part that I think always gets left out, not I shouldn't say always, often gets left out of the conversation in other places when I see people, you know, on social media or wherever else on the radio sort of bashing this movie on classic Rockies, signing a guy who's going to be hurt for the majority of the time where this is going on. First of all, that's not true. He should be back for at least a month or two next year. And if the Rockies, again, and I know that part of the, the eye rolling and cynicism about this is a ironclad belief that there's no possible way that they could be competitive next year. But if by some miracle of the offseason, they do get a couple of good starting pitchers in here and the offense continues to gel and the bullpen gets it locked down. And because of the expanded playoffs, they do have a, you know, good luck, whatever. They end up having a a 500 record or just, you know, the four or five games over 500 or around the trade deadline. They make a couple of moves and then you add Armand Marquez back into that, especially if he makes a, a good recovery from Tommy John, like a lot of guys have done and can come back to the, the, if not the best version of himself in a Rockies uniform, he's always been a plus pitcher for this team. Always, 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 even at his worst. And we'll talk about the dollar per war thing here in just a minute. Marquez has been a plus. So at $10 million, you know, you can afford that for a guy who has potential to really help you out. Maybe at the end of 24, if you're surprisingly competitive and throughout 25, when you hope to be competitive, I think this is a good deal for the Rockies. It's a good deal for Marquez because of the incentives in the second part. And because if he does have a good return, he should still be young enough to go out and make a bigger contract, whether that's here or somewhere else at, what will he be, 32 at that point? Doing quick age math. The 30. He's still, man, at 31. He's, he's 28 right now as I'm talking to you. It's just wild how long this guy has been along that he, around that he's still, you know, got a couple of years of his 20s left. So he'll be... In his, you know, very early 30s, when this de- he'll be 30 years old when this deal ends, and if he's done well, there would be all the incentive in the world to bring him back and think that the Rockies could continue to build around him, even if he's not going to continue to be uh, the front of the line guy. Which I still think there's plenty of possibility for him to get back there. There's just almost no way this guy doesn't help your ball club. And anyone who studied the history of this team knows that going out and spending $10 million on a free agent starting pitcher, hoping that he's going to come in and produce $10 million worth of value for you, is just so much riskier than saying, here's a guy who's done it. At least we know he can. And you can really, I was going to say maybe one hand, you can rank on two hands. You only need two hands to list the number of guys 
who have a proven track record of longevity and also, like I said, those moments of dominance while pitching half of their games at Coors Field. And so I think this deal makes all the sense in the world, even though, yes, for the first year, he's not going to be around for a lot of it. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, there are times in which even in a half a season, Marquez has been worth $10 million. But let's move into another way of thinking about this, our larger topic for the day. And we'll stick with Marquez for now and then move into talking about this with a few other players. But in terms of dollar per war, right? This kind of changes every year. And these numbers are based on the most recent I could find from last off season, but they always go up, or at least they have for the last decade. And so stick with me here. There's going to be some math involved, but not my favorite thing in the world, but this can be a really helpful way to think about these things and how to build a roster, which is what the Rockies are doing right now, right? One win and the article that I saw detailing all of this was using fan graphs. So I will use fan graphs as well, even though I actually prefer the baseball reference wins above replacement metric, especially for position players, because it values defense a lot more. When it comes to pitchers, they're pretty darn close, so it's not going to matter a ton. So a pitcher win is worth $5.43 million. So if you're a one-war pitcher and you're getting paid $5.4 million, then you are getting paid exactly what you're worth, right? If you're getting paid anything less than that, then you have excess value to your team, which is that's what Moneyball teams are searching for, right? That excess value, if you're making less money than the amount of value you're producing, you're extremely valuable to your organization. That's what teams like the Rays for a long time, right? The A's have hunted for almost exclusively. It's why they will just trade players rather than sign them to long-term deals because of things like I'm going to talk about in a minute with a certain former Colorado Rockies superstar third baseman. But so the way you calculate this, right, is that any number of wins above that or below, you multiply that by the amount of money that it's worth. And then you compare that to the player's actual contract. So for example, in 2018, Armand Marquez put up the best season of his career. At 23 years old, he pitched 196 innings. He had a 377 ERA. Let me check ERA plus. That's on baseball reference. Uh, 125 ERA plus. And he put up 4.1 wins above replacement on fan graphs. Great season, right? Led the team to their second best record ever. Uh, couldn't quite deliver the victory in game 163 against the Dodgers pitched a heck of a ball game there. I'm pretty sure that's the year he got his immaculate inning and also the year where he struck out the first eight batters. I want to say the nationals or the Phillies and almost uh, set a new MLB record, but on an O2 pitch, the, the pitcher rolled one over to the second baseman or something. I remember telling Tony Walters about that. And he was very upset. He didn't call for a slider or something. Uh, so 4.1 wins, though, is is his tops. They're in 2018. In 2018, Armand Marquez made league minimum. He was also the, the National League silver slugger at pitcher that year, right? Good hitter. And he made 550K, league minimum, essentially, right? So when you do the math on all of that, and, and he was worth, by the way, 
and now the, the win might have been less, but by modern standards, about $22 million. So he had an excess value of essentially $22 million, right? $21.5 million. He was extraordinarily valuable that season. Uh, now, of course, it's gone up since then. Now, in 2019 and 2020, he only made a million. Million in 2019, 1.6 in 2020. 3.3 wins. And in 2020, in just 81 innings pitched, in 13 starts, he was a 2.3 win pitcher. So that right there goes to show you that at his best, let's say he comes back in 24 and can only make 13 starts at the end of the season. If there are 13 starts that were as good as what he threw in the pandemic season, then he'll be at 2.3 wins above replacement worth the $10 million that the Rockies are going to pay him. Oddly enough, right? He's done it before. Now, here's the thing. Again, way excess value that season. He was worth about 15 to $20 million, but only made 1.6. So for those first several years of his career, he was worth way more than the Rockies were paying him. He was one of the better excess value guys on the roster. Then he got his new deal, which he clearly earned, right? And some of this is paying a little bit for past value. But he starts making $7.5 million in 2021. Uh, 2021, a 3.4 win season. So sorry for doing this you know, live for you, but here, let's do it. 3.4 wins times 5.4 million. So he was worth $18.36 million and he made seven. So still big excess value, right? You do minus 7.5, you come out to $10.86 million in excess value. Next year, 2022, worst year of his career. A 4.95 ERA, all the stuff we we all witnessed it, right? It was a bad year, but he still put up 1.4 wins above replacement. So we do 1.4 times 5.4, 7.56 million dollars is what he was worth, and what he made was 11. So for the first time in his career, he was a negative value but only by $3 million. So again, you had plus 22, plus 20, plus 15, plus 18, and then you've got minus three. The only time in his career that Marquez has been a negative value in terms of dollar per war for the Colorado Rockies. Now, obviously 2023, you've got this unique situation where he's at his height. He got paid $15 million this year. He got hurt, right? So the least amount of wins above replacement he's ever put up at 0.2. He only made four starts. He only pitched 20 innings. So that's brutal. But what happens next, right? Like I said, he in 24, he could put up two wins in 13 or 15 starts if he can get there at the end of the year and be worth it. But if not, there's certainly a decent chance that coming off of it and getting fully healthy and still being, you know, 29 to 30 years old that he can put up a pretty decent season in 2025 and be worth the entirety of the contract 
in that season plus the couple of months from 24, right? And if nothing else, even if he doesn't get to that, given the amount of excess value that you've gotten out of Armand Marquez, it does not seem ridiculous to me to pay for the comfort of a guy you know can do it here when you are trying to build a winner if not for next season, certainly by 25, they should absolutely be trying to compete with the amount of position player talent they've got here. And that whole conversation that we've been having, they really ought to be able to find enough pitching through prospects and trades and free agents by 2025 that with Marquez returning at full strength, still, you know, maybe not at his peak but notes not so far removed from his prime that he shouldn't still be able to go. There are plenty of guys who can, in fact, there are plenty of guys who've had the best years of their career pitching at 31, 32 years old because of experience is a huge amount of that as well. So yeah, I think the Marquez deal makes all the sense in the world and it actually works out. It's one of those rare times where it works out fairly well for the team because they get a little bit of break on on paying about $6 million less than just picking up his option for next year. They get to keep the player that they really like and hope can still be a part of the next team that's going to be competitive, but they also get to do it at a little bit less of a cost than if he'd had a great season this year and you know they had to pick it up and then a big extension. Like They can kind of kick that can down the road, as it were, but Marquez still has those incentives. So if he has a great 2025, which will be great for the Rockies and they'd be more than happy to pay him for it, then he's going to get paid for it. it. It actually works out really well for both sides involved. So back on the dollar per war thing. If I, I hope your, your, your brain isn't fried too much from all of this stuff. But I know it's a lot of numbers. I'm going to throw a few more at you because... This is one of those things that, again, I think it's important to understand, but it's also important to understand that this isn't some sort of gospel truth, like the only way to think about it. There are some shortcomings here, right? I sent out this tweet the other day because I I find this really interesting. When you look at uh, Colorado Rockies third baseman Ryan McMahon, now I did cheat a little bit here. Again, because I said I like baseball reference war better. The same basic principle applies. So I did use baseball reference war. $5.3 million is what a win is worth. This season, as of a day or two ago, Ryan McMahon was at 3.2 wins above replacement, right? Which is a value of $18.56 million. And he's only getting paid $9 million. So while I think there are a lot of people out there who feel like, you know, Ryan McMahon is not the player they hoped that you you hoped he would be or or whatever else you know that there's certain he's streaky at the plate you wish he'd be a better hitter and certainly he isn't the ball player that nolan arenado ever was at his peak right now in terms of excess value ryan mcmahon is way more valuable than nolan arenado just to give you the numbers on Arenado, he's having a, a down season really across the board. Still a 2.6 win player, which is pretty darned good, but that's about $15 million in value. And he's getting paid $35 million. So he's actually been a negative 20, where Ryan McMahon is a plus 9.5. Now, of course, if you ask any baseball mind which player 
they'd rather have. They'd say Nolan Arenado, and that's correct, right? But when it comes to roster construction and when it comes to trade values, and this is why <laughs> I cut off that thought to essentially say, let me jump to the end point here. This is why when you plugged in the Nolan Arenado trade on baseball reference or on, on baseball trade values, right? It came up as a fair trade. This is why I always point out the contract and the money that the Rockies saved and then spent on Chris Bryant, which I'm going to talk about here in just a second. I promise you I'm not leaving that out. But why, when you plug in a guy like Nolan Arenado, despite how incredible he is, does he have negative trade value when the Rockies traded him? And, and trying to get people to understand that is very difficult. And it's why I wanted to run through that whole process first with Marquez. Because, now check this out. Last year, when Nolan was really in the MVP conversation, right? And just got beat by his own teammate for it. He put up more wins than he ever has in his career. Part of that is because, as I've mentioned many times before, these stats can be particularly harsh on Rockies players at Coors Field. They tend to over-adjust for that. And so despite the fact that a lot of his raw numbers, batting average on base slugging, were the same or maybe even a little bit worse, his park-adjusted statistics were better than they'd ever been before. So he put up 7.2 wins above replacement, more than he ever has in his career, his second year in St. Louis, right? So 7.2 times the 5.3 we've talked about, that's how much it's worth. So $38 million. He actually did have excess value in 2022, but only by about $3 million. Again, he got paid 35, right? He was worth 38. That is why I have held for a while, Chris Bryant contract included, that the Rockies should not be in the position of signing those types of deals because in order to be worth $35 million, you essentially have to play at an MVP level. And while Nolan has been very good in his other two years in St. Louis in 2021, he was a four win player, right? Three and a half to six, the three and a half to five wins. You're usually in the all-star conversation and he was and has been right. The, the Rockies might not have a guy get to four wins this year. So four wins is still very good, but it's not $35 million good. And three wins as he's at this season, been picking it up lately, apparently, uh, but still, you you essentially have to be a seven-win player, something he's only done once in his career, to be worth $35 million. And you're never, ever, ever, ever going to be, well, I guess unless you're Mike Trout, right? A guy who, if you're getting paid $35 million, is actually worth 45. Like, your, your wins above replacement numbers have to be off the charts at that level. And go back and think about what we talked about with Armand Marquez. How many seasons he was comfortably more than $10 million in excess value. This is how the money ball, the money ball, like, like the Facebook. This is how money ball is played, right? 
And while I don't think the Rockies should necessarily be in the business of shipping off every decent player they have, having no identity, never have... Like, I, I do think you can have one or two guys. I think what they've done with guys like Ryan McMahon and Kyle Freeland and Armand Marquez makes sense. You can have those kinds of institutional figures. But, the of course, the Chris Bryant, so to talk about that, you know, essentially you're, you're looking at a guy who's put up no wins above replacement and is getting paid $27 million a year. So you can do the math on that one. <laughs> That's negative $27 million in negative excess value, right? The inverse of what you're looking for. So it's interesting, and, and the final thought on this for now, though I do want to keep it in mind as we continue to move forward and have these conversations moving into the offseason is that the vast majority of the guys on the Rockies roster right now have excess value. One of the more interesting ones, Austin Gomber. Austin Gomber, after getting himself right in the second half, has put up about a win. It's right under a win on fan graphs. It's right over on baseball reference. We'll see if he makes another start, but it's right at that mark, right? So again, worth about $5.4 million. Making 1.6. So, in terms of dollar per war, he's got access value. Where, yeah, no, I know. The guy they traded him, traded for him has got negative 20. Again, it's not, like I said earlier, it's not the gospel. It doesn't mean that one you'd rather have the one guy than the other. It just means that there's a reason why those big dollar contracts can be such a drain on your ability to build a roster and why it's typically not a good idea to hand them out. So while the Chris Bryant thing is, yes, quite bad. Uh, one, I do think if he gets himself healthy, he he can be, he's not going to be worth the $27 million, but he can at least give you something, right? And the rest of the guys, even down to, like I said, Gomber, are giving you excess value right now. And they've got money to spend this offseason. So don't spend it all. <laughs> so this is another long-winded way of saying, don't spend it all in one place, right? Don't put all the dollar eggs in one basket, as it were. It it's basically proven to be a bad strategy for mid to lower market teams or teams that aren't going to spend to keep up with the Dodgers's and apparently the Padres's and the Mets and the Yankees of the world, right? If you're not willing to spend that kind of money and the Rockies have shown that they're not, they'll spend more than some teams, but not that kind of money. Then you've got to be spreading it out. And if you want to have, you know, longer term, long tenured, sort of star players that stick around. It's got to be of the McMahon, Freeland, Marquez variety and going out and spending big money on guys like Chris Bryant or even arguably spending not just the contracts that they signed Nolan Arenado to, but you could go back to Carlos Gonzalez, Troy Tulowitzki, even arguably the contract they signed Todd Helton to made it very difficult for them to build that roster for a very long time. Uh, you know, the, that one's tougher to argue against because, again, they were able to ultimately build around him. Though, if you look at if you did this exercise for the end of his career, when Helton wasn't 
quite at his peak. He was still producing for those teams and still an integral part of, of getting, you know, especially 2007, not as much 2009 into the postseason. He was, he was past his peak at those times. And I think that's probably what you're hoping for in a best case scenario out of, you know, Chris Bryant, who, by the way, is still in his early 30s as well. So, but when up and down the rest of the roster, you've got guys who are, yeah, you'd like to see those wins above replacement numbers ultimately come up. But at the very least, when compared to their contracts, most guys are outperforming them, which is a really, really good place to start. Uh, of course, there's that unfortunate thing of, of the Bryant anchor. I'll keep mentioning it because it's like, yeah, what about the one? But it is really the one, right? Freeland arguably uh, was a little bit under this year. But again, he's mostly been over throughout his career. And there's plenty of reason to believe that in a better season when not surrounded by, you know, the house burning down around him, that he might be able to have a, a slightly better year, right? So it is an interesting thing to look at and a, a way to to help understand why, you know, some of these sell moves even happen. Sometimes we look across baseball, not just with, you know, the Nolan Arenado trade, but lots of things go. How, how does that even make any sense? And a lot of times it's because so many teams are using this basic methodology to look at players. How much are they getting paid? And then how much wins above replacement are they putting up? And whatever excess value you've got there, that's the thing they want the most. That's what the Rays have been so successful at hunting and getting and building around. Uh, The Rockies have had difficulty with it in the past because they've had, when they're good, you know, so much money going to Nolan, Charlie, Trevor, and DJ, for example, or, or whatever it may be. Uh, back when it was the Bombers, right? They're making all the money and that's great, but then you don't have the depth to build out the rest of your roster and so that you don't end up having sustainability. To me, this is the reason why the Rockies have throughout most of their history been these two or three years of being good from 1995 to 1997. All winning seasons went to the postseason one year there, but then it all fell apart. Then you have 2007 to 2010, two postseason years, a third one that should have been there, three winning seasons out of four, and then it all falls apart as you have to start paying guys like Troy Tulowitzki or Ubaldo Jimenez are deciding not to pay Ubaldo, so you're shipping him out and you're, you're doing all this other stuff, right? Uh, same thing with the Nolan, Charlie, Trevor years, right? So for me, it's just you've got to pick and choose one of those guys and you've got to hit with them if you're going to do that and they haven't with Bryant. Therefore, you've got to go even more extreme with getting excess value out of everybody else on your roster. At the same time, you've got to bring in some guys who can pitch. So so let's see what happens next. Thank you for listening in to this episode of 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to check out all the written content over at milehighsports.com and please make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel for Mile High Sports. I got all kinds of awesome Colorado Rockies stuff up on there, Colorado Rockies history and some current things as well, but especially the history stuff I really enjoy making. So I hope y'all will go and subscribe, give them a, a like and a share, maybe leave a comment down below. All that stuff really does help 
uh, not, not just the site grow, but the videos grow and, and more people find them and see them. So I really, really appreciate it if you go and do that. Other than that, I can only ever ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out of there. I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.